Welcome to Pirate Talk Radio, your podcast for Sea of Thieves news. There's always something to talk about, whether it be patch notes, whether it be bugs, whether it be exploits, whether it be cosmetics that personally I find beautiful, but ugly at the same time. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, guys, to Pirate Talk Radio episode 57. And this is almost a continuation, honestly, of the last two episodes, uh, 55, 56, where we went through the preview of season five, and then we dove into um, the longevity and timing of season five uh, a little bit last week. And uh, and this week, we're going to talk about uh, continuing that trend and talk about um, <laughs> the development cycle in, in, well, utilizing my experience, I should say, in, in software. And talking about the development cycle uh, that most software companies uh, go through. Um, which, <clears throat> though I've never worked in a game development studio, I have been in several different industries uh, managing you know software development and things like that. So... I've got a kind of a good handle on how a lot of software companies operate. Now, that's not to say Rare is going to operate this way or not, but uh, I, I think I have a pretty good handle on with how many years I've played Sea of Thieves, seeing how things kind of come out and 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 what things have been said, and then how they line up in timing. Uh, so kind of go through what what I think is currently being worked on um, and and some things like that. We also got some great information um, on, and again, if you have not went over to check out, uh, Captain Logan's Keelhold podcast, I strongly suggest you do, uh, his 200th episode just released last week. Um, and he had Mike Chapman on, and it was a good, you know, hour plus of talking to Mike about where Sea of Thieves has come from, how far it's gone, what's coming in the future. Um, and, and there's definitely, Mike definitely gave no indication that they're slowing down and there's a lot of cool stuff that they have planned and coming. Um, and one particular thing that I was very interested about and one particular thing, uh, that kind of caught me off, caught me off guard. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then finally, Sea of Thieves was nominated for two, um, gaming awards, uh, in the accessibility, um, area, uh, by a company called, can I play that, which is a, uh, game awards company, our game awards organization who awards game studios and video games for awards based around accessibility. And knowing that, you know, a few episodes ago, we talked in depth about how sea of thieves has really taken and how rare in general has really taken to, um, accessibility and making sure that their game is possible to play, um, by anyone, regardless of disability, exceptionality, whatever it may be. Uh, Rare is dedicated to making sure that you can play um, and have fun in Sea of Thieves. So that's kind of what's on the docket for today. It has been an extremely busy December. Um, I didn't anticipate my December being this busy and and chaotic, but it has been crazy. Um, So I hope everyone out there is doing well. I hope everyone's getting ready for the holidays if you celebrate 
Um, again, when this uh, episode comes out, we'll be in that final countdown, that last week uh, before Christmas, and then one more week uh, before New Year's. Uh, there will obviously, the podcast will still continue through the holidays, obviously, um, but again, you won't get another episode until probably Christmas Day or the day after Christmas based on uh, when I can get it recorded. So um, again, take care of yourselves out there. As I always say, uh, take care of each other, be safe uh, and have a happy holiday. Um, and, and I'll see you after Christmas as far as that's concerned. But uh, let's get into our topics today. Um, and I want to continue with our trend first before we get to the game awards and stuff like that. I want to continue our trend first um, with the development cycle and with the timing of season five, I, I talked last week in episode 56 that I thought that the season five, um, timing was off and bad. Um, just because again, during this time, during holidays, you've got students out of class, you've got universities not doing class. You've got, uh, uh people taking off time from work for the holidays. And you have people sitting on their butts looking for something to do. Um, and for many people, that's video games. And there are a lot of games out there. And Rare is part of Microsoft. Knowing Halo Infinite came out, they have to compete. Uh, and they have to compete for butts in the seat with eyeballs on their game. And I honestly don't think that Season 5 was a good release to have during the holidays. I think the features of Season 5 were great. Um, I think the 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 tools, not rules approach of season five and the bug fixes and stuff that they put in was great. Um, but I think this was a, I, I will call it complimentary features, um, where they should have complemented um, a more larger, um, content initiative over the holidays when you're really trying to compete for space and for time uh, of, uh, for people's time playing video games, right? People are playing everything. Everyone has some sort of winter event. World of Warcraft, uh, Final Fantasy, New World, uh, Apex, Overwatch, Halo Infinite just came out. Everything has a winter event or games have launched, and there's a lot of competition out there to get you to play Sea of Thieves. And again, we briefly looked at the Steam analytics uh, last week, and again, I know that that's only a very small percentage of players, uh, but it shows us a very clear trend that after A Pirate's Life, we anticipated players going down, but we keep seeing these sharp declines. So I'm anxious to see what the numbers will look like um, after after um, uh, after the holidays and, and see what those numbers look like. But uh, we also talked about players saying the seas are dead. The, there's not many people on. I have personally not experienced that. All the, the servers that I've played on um, have definitely had at least a couple ships that I've seen um, throughout the play. I have not gone through a multiple hour play session without seeing another ship. So in my mind, that's, that's not too bad um, right now, but you know, it, it is what it is. And I feel like season five, all the cool features that we got in season five that really just open up the gambit for people to be able to create their own stories, which is what sea of thieves is all about. It really were complimentary features that in my mind would have been better off complimenting things like, the sunken kingdom, which was 
a content update, but it was a bad one. Um, I mean, there are still shrines to this day that are, that have really nasty bugs in them and just are really a garbage play experience to be general in general, they look beautiful, but they're just a garbage time. And they, they, it wasn't really received. Well, that would have been a great update to also include fun things like buried treasure or the dice game or, or, you know, cannon rowboats, you know, that would have been a great update to take something that really wasn't that great and kind of boost it up a little bit more with some cool new features to play with. Um, and I, I don't know. I just think a standalone update of tools, not rules, though good um, as far as what the game is, you know, a game is all about. Bad as far as getting players to sit down when they've got the free time during the holidays. Just not good timing there. So what is Sea of Thieves doing right now? So we just got season five. It just hit. And in three months from now, we're going to get season six. So for those of you out there who maybe have never spent time in a software development team um, or a company that has a software development calendar, what does that look like? Um, I will, again, preface in the very beginning that I have no association with Rare. Um, I don't have any communication with, with Rare staff, aside from every so often I'll get a message from one of the developers who listens to the show. Um, I don't know what their development cycle looks like. I don't know what their calendar looks like. I'm just, again, basing this off my experience in software and how kind of a calendar or a release cycle goes. We know that Rare's release cycle is three months. They obviously have small patches and events throughout that time, but their major releases are on a three-month calendar, our seasons, right? Those are the major releases. So we're on season five. So how much further ahead is the development team working? Well, if I were to, to, to gather something, season six is pretty much finished in development. I would say season six, which is what we'll get in three months, is relatively finished in development. Um, and what it is, is it's now going through the rare system of QA. So rare is looking at it, where is testing it. Their QA teams are, are doing their final look at it. Um, and then it will soon go to insiders within the next month or so for people to start testing. Now you're probably not going to see the splash screen of season six. And there's probably features and in insiders as Mike Chapman mentioned on the Keelhole podcast that aren't going to be in season six and are probably not going to be things that we're going to be seeing for a while, but they're in the playground, if you will, uh, with other stuff where players are testing right now and QAing, and that might not be season six, but it's already being tested for future seasons. That's kind of what insiders is about, right? Insiders is not directly responsible for testing what's coming directly next. Insiders is about a playground for players to test new features that Rare is looking to implement. A lot of times, you know, we will see season six in there or season seven or whatever the next season is going to be where players are hardcore testing it before release. But in general, there's also a lot of other stuff in there. And then the season comes out and players are like, oh, man, I tested something in Insiders and didn't get it. Well, you know, that's what happens. But I would say at this point, going into season five, season six is, is done with development. Obviously, there's going to be tweaks and changes, but we're in QA now for season six. Whatever is going to happen in season six, it's already on. It's, it's not on paper. It's not on a whiteboard. And it's not in anyone's head. It is actually in code. It's actually in the game. It's ready to go. Uh, it's being QA tested, and it's going to go out um, to, to insiders whenever they're ready to push it there. So if I, if again, 
in my experience with development cycles, that's probably where season six is right now. Season seven, I would say, is probably in the, my guess, 75 to 90% done. I would say we're already well into season seven's development. It's probably finishing up. It'll probably finish it up in the next month, month and a half. Probably when we're starting to see season six hit insiders, we'll start to see season seven will be like in rares QA. So when season six comes out, season seven will then be fully in inside. You know, you're seeing the trend, right? So I would say season six done with development season seven, real close to being done with development. I would say season eight has finished the design phase and is now in early development. So we're talking half a year from now is the stuff that rares probably just now starting on as far as hard coding into the, into the actually building it right. It's finished with design and they're probably right now putting code into their, into their databases for what is going to come the second half of next year, which would be season eight and season nine. Um, so th- that's probably where they're at. Season nine is probably currently in a design standpoint, as far as art, as far as, you know, writing on a whiteboard and things like that. I would guess that season nine does not necessarily have much code in there again, unless they're looking at long-term features that they're working on testing right now might be an insiders right now. And just things that they've got held off, um, in the, in the vault, if you will, ready to put into seasons, um, but not something that necessarily has been said, this is going to be season nine. I would definitely say season nine is in a design phase right now. Again, art, um, not, not really any code I wouldn't think yet. Uh, but again, we're talking about the latter half of next year. We're talking about quarter or season six would be quarter one season seven, quarter two, season eight, quarter three, season nine, quarter four. So we're literally talking about what is going to be released this time next year. It is probably on whiteboards. It is probably in, you know, they're starting to build out their stories, their development stories. That's what we call them in the development world. When you're starting to piece things together, starting to get those art pieces together as far as what you know, if there's any new mobs or if there's any new things like that, getting that art together um, and stuff like that, if there's changes to the island. And then I would say season 10, which would be the quarter one of 2023, is in what I would call concept right now. So what do we want to do? We've got this flow of where six is, where seven is. Eight is already in early development. Nine is in a design phase. So we know where we're taking our story. We know where we're taking the game. So 10 would probably be in a concept state right now where it's flowing out of the designer's heads like Mike Chapman and his team. Um, Because, for example, uh, Mike just tweeted not too long ago that he had a meeting with Rare developers on Sea of Thieves and an external consultant about the golden age of piracy. So I would say that, you know, we're probably still a year away from seeing the golden age of piracy because my guess is what Mike is having a conversation with right now would be things that are 2023 and beyond, right? He's already taken what's in his mind and written it down on whiteboards. He's already worked with Joe Neat and all the team. They've already got all this stuff written down and, and some of it's into it. And they're probably already right now road mapping for 2023 and beyond. So that would be season 10 and the future. So we're, based on what I saw on a tweet and based on what Joe said, as far as, um, 
on the Keelhauled podcast. What I took from that is the golden age of piracy will be coming to Sea of Thieves, which, again, we'll talk about that in a second because that blew my mind. Um, but he said it's going to be really exciting when it does. And so my guess is we're talking 2023 or beyond before we see the golden age of piracy, again, based on Mike's tweet about having meetings about that and a typical dev cycle, which I've just ran you through the next basically year and one quarter of where they're at. So basically as a new season comes out, another season enters concept and that just kind of, you know, that's the cycle, right? That's the cycle, but that's not to say sea of thieves does not have a long-term roadmap. I'm talking three years, five years, eight years, 10 years. That's not to say they don't have that roadmap. Do they know exactly what's going to land on each season and each year? And no, they don't, but they can say we are currently right here with this tools, not rules update. And 2023, we want to hit the golden age of piracy. And you know, 2025, we want to be here and you know, 2020, whatever, we want to do another Disney thing. You know, they probably have a long-term plan going up to potentially 10 years. And Mike talked about that on, on um, the Keel Hall podcast. I wouldn't say in length, but he said, we have ideas, 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 and so much future state of this game that we haven't even scratched the surface of this game yet, which is super exciting for us, the players. I just hope, again, they really focus on the timing and make sure that the updates that they are bringing out are impactful updates and, and not updates that are just just kind of like, uh, you kind of punted the ball here like season five. Again, I think the things they put in season five are great, but I think they're complementary features, as I said before. And I think honestly, this season is going to be a punt as far as the player base. I think other the players are going to go to the other games that have more engaging new content, new, new stuff to do. Halo Infinite, for example, it's all brand new. Um, and I, I, I think honestly, it was kind of a punt over the holidays, maybe again, because of the coronavirus. I hate that excuse at this point. Maybe it's because they're working from home and vacation times. I really hate those excuses. Honestly, like, you know, that every year around this time, people are going to take vacation, you know, so you should be planning ahead and stuff like that. We've been in COVID now for what? Oh, two years. We know how to, we should have built processes and developed systems in order to work from home now that this stuff should not be excuses anymore. So I don't know what the reason is. Maybe, maybe they, maybe Sea of Thieves and maybe Rare thought season five would be a really cool season where people would really love the fireworks and really love the dice and really love all these cool um, tools without the rules. And they would just love it. And, and I think they did for the first couple days. And then it was like, well, I've shot every firework. I've buried some treasure and made a map. I've played the dice game. Like, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't anything in this game that it, it, it's going to impact the game long term because these things aren't going away, but it wasn't anything to keep people's attention more than a couple giggles and some cool screenshots for the first week. Um, in fact, I actually heard the comment on a couple streams of their larger content creators of, yeah, like I don't even pick up fireworks anymore. They were cool for the first day. Now they're just whatever. So, and again, we're talking about, we're talking about the content creators that are partnered with where the content creators, which are supposed to be promoting the game and showing the highs of the game and showing what's awesome about the game. 
And when you've got a large-scale audience of, you know, thousands of live stream viewers and you've got an audience of, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands on YouTube, and when you have comments like, yeah, they were really cool, they were really fun, but nah, I don't even pick them up anymore because it, it was fun for a day. That's not exactly what you want to hear from an update that's supposed to last three months. Because I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of people out there that when some new update comes out, there are folks like me who don't like spoilers and try to get in there and do as do what we can to learn. But there are a lot of people out there that's like, yeah, Sea of Thieves is fun, but I'm going to see what pace does first and see if it's something that I want to spend time with. I'm going to see what, you know, um, um, you know, summit does. And, and then I'll think about, I'm going to see what, you know, boxy does. And then I'm going to decide, you know, there, there are people out there who watch YouTube and, and then also, um, watch live streams and they make their determination based on that streamer or that content creator. If they're going to come back and sit down at the game. And if you've released a system of content where the content creator within the first couple days is like, yeah, there's cool new stuff, but it's boring now. You know, that that's not the that's not what you want to hear. And again, Rare's not one of those folks out there that I believe is telling their content creators now, you guys have to talk about how awesome this is and be positive. It seems to me like Rare gives their content creators pretty open pretty openness about, you know, giving feedback and talking about the game to their viewers, which I think is great. A company should never fear their content creators. In fact, they should encourage their content creators to give them feedback. If they're coming out with updates, which are not lasting and which updates that they can't really talk positive about after the first day or after the first couple hours, then, you know, their responsibility as a partnered content creator should be going back to rare and saying, Hey, yo, you may want to think about how you're doing this because I can't really talk positive about your new update because it's lame and it hasn't lasted long. You got some cool stuff in here, but it should have been mixed in with some other things, right? It shouldn't have been its own standalone update. Um, so I, I think there's, there's, I, I enjoy rare because they don't really silence people again, unless you're doing something that you shouldn't be, um, like exploiting or something like that, then they're going to step in and be like, Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you're talking honestly and openly about your community and the game you love, then they're not going to say anything, which I think is really good. So there's this other bucket that um, I think Mike Chapman talked a little bit about on, on the Keelhole podcast, and I refer to it in the development world as the future bucket, right? It's this giant bucket of ideas that sits in the closet in the corner of the room in a light and in, in, in that room, the lights turned off. And basically what happens is when you sit down and you've got your whiteboard in front of you and you got your marker out and you say, okay, here is season 10 or here is season, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the number is, here's our three month season. What do we need to plug into this season? Well, we've got cannon rowboats. Oh, we've got fireworks. Oh, we've got dice. Oh, we've got uh, um, siren shrines. Oh, we've got hit registration. Uh, and you've basically got this giant bucket of ideas in the corner of the room in the dark closet with the lights off. And when you put that box down and you write season 
10 or season 11 or season 256 on the whiteboard, now you need to be able to reach into that dark room, into that bucket and start pulling out ideas and start pasting it on your whiteboard and saying, yeah, let's have all these done. And then you start to to, to say, well, uh, that's going to take a little longer, so let's put that back in the bucket for something else. Oh, this is pretty quick, so let's add something else from the bucket. And it's basically a brain dump of the designers from Mike Chapman, Joe Neat, from all the different heads there that have a, a idea of the roadmap of this game. And that bucket is full of ideas. Maybe they've been driven from the community. Maybe they've dri been driven from their content creators. Maybe they're coming from the head of Mike Chapman with lore, or maybe they're coming from Joe neat with the executive production and how he wants this game to go. Maybe they're coming from the team that handles accessibility, whatever the case may be. There's a giant bucket of ideas which allows them to then build these three-month seasons and the content inside of it. And that bucket is huge. It is always full, and it is always getting more ideas. Someone may come up with the idea, hey, you know what would be really cool in Sea of Thieves? An airplane. And so they write down, Turn Galleon into Airplane with Pixie Dust from Tinkerbell. Disney Update 3. Fold it up, put it in the barrel. Will it ever get selected? Probably not. because, the, But that's what I'm saying. Like This is kind of like brainstorming. It's kind of like taking whatever weird things, cool things, bad things, good things in your brain that deals with the game that you're working on and vomiting it into a bucket. And it's just a pile of ideas, good, bad, or ugly. It's a, it's a pile of ideas that then they can pull from tweak and then slap on their whiteboard when they have to block in a three month season. And one of those ideas, which I mentioned a, a little bit ago, is the golden age of piracy. Now, for those out there who've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know that I'm a huge history nerd. And you will also know that I'm a massive history buff on the golden age of piracy in the West Indies. If you don't know what the West Indies are, it is the area that is the Caribbean, the Bahamas, you know, the coast of Florida, even up into the Virginias. It's basically what Europe viewed as India, you know, trying to get to the West in India. That's where the Indies come from, right? They were sailing to the, um, they, they were sailing West in either order, order to find a faster trade route to China and India. And they ran into this giant landmass called North America. And what happened was that then became the West Indies is what they named it. And, and it became things like Nassau town, which was the pirate Republic stronghold in the Bahamas, the Caribbean pirates of the Caribbean, where that was generated from, you know, we're talking about the coasts of Florida, the Carolinas, even up into Virginia, um, you know, is part of this story and the golden age of piracy was really focused around this. Now that's not to say that there aren't pirates still to this day in the Somali area of Africa. And th there weren't to say there weren't Asian pirates and, and pirates like that. But in general, when we talk about pirates that we know swashbuckling swordsmen who take over ships, steal your plunder, uh, and, and get rich off of that, right? We're talking about the pirates 
in the Bahamas. We're talking about the pirates in the Caribbean. That's what we're talking about. Um, free men who basically stole ships or, or left the military, um, and became their own privateers as it were. Um, privateer is a weird word because privateer means you're employed by someone, but these folks, uh, believe themselves to be free. Um, they did not answer to any government, um, and they sailed their ships around and disrupted trade from French trading, English trading, and Spanish trading, um, which again, they're trying to trade from the new world, right? The United States, from Mexico, from Brazil, South America. They're trying to trade from that those areas back to England, France, Spain, Portugal, and vice versa, right? That's colonization. And this golden age of piracy was when these pirates unified, right? So we're not talking about just individual pirates out there for themselves. We're talking about the unification of pirates basically in their own government, in a free man's Bahamas. And that was Nassau Town. Um, if you've watched the, the stars show black sails, you get a good idea of how that particular time worked, right? It is a, it is a fantasy, right? It is based on, um, um, a book. Um, but it is a good representation of what that looked like. You had a whole bunch of pirate crews, um, that basically lived in this town. Um, it was a relatively, um, set up Republic. <clears throat> it was called the pirates Republic actually, where every man, regardless of rank, got a vote. Um, you know, when you joined a ship, you signed the, uh, the ship's articles, which says you agree to, to work on this ship and you get X amount of the plunder, um, based on your role. Um, any sort of decisions made in the town, um, you know, came from a council of, of pirates that, you know, again, we're looking out for their crew. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the golden age of piracy. We're talking about men like Charles Vane. We're talking about men like Edward Teach or Blackbeard. We're talking about a huge slew of names, uh, famous names of pirates that again, you might not have heard of Charles Vane. Um, you might not have heard, well, I'm assuming most people have heard of Blackbeard, but you may not have known that his name is Edward Teach. We're talking about people like Jack Rackham. Again, unless you've re re probably read it in a book or watched stars, you have no idea who Jack Rackham is, also known as Calico Jack. Again, you probably have no idea who that is. What you would know is his banner. His banner is the famous Jolly Roger, the skull with the cross you know, swords, right? So that is where that came from was that was the standard of Calico Jack. These are the names that we're talking about. And those were all male names. You're right. Mo you know, there was a lot of pirates that were male, but all you girls out there, you've got pirate, you know, heroes to look up to, you know, you have, um, and, and Bonnie and Bonnie, one of the most vicious cutthroats to ever sail the seas gal. Vicious cutthroat. Kind of a sexaholic too. But anyways, vicious cutthroat. She got what she, you know, wanted through her legs. But you know, that's, she was still angry and mean and vicious. But this is what we're talking about. These are the people that we're talking about. And in the books and in the stories, 
it all kind of starts to also tie together. Um, I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail on this because I've, I've done episodes in the past talking about the different types of pirates in the time, uh, talking about Nassau and stuff like that. I've been to Nassau. It's a really cool place. Um, but we're also talking about a potential here, another option for a Disney adventure as well. And another link because there was a pirate known in this time in the books and everything else. Um, that was named Captain Hook ties together with the dark brethren court, um, that sea of thieves has built with Davy Jones, um, because he was part of the first, uh, pirate court from pirates of the Caribbean who locked Callisto away. And yeah. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the crazy thing about all of this is, is James Hook was part of all this. And he's part of Disney and he's part of, of, you know, lore and myth and stories. And he falls into this golden age of piracy, just along with the pirates of the Caribbean. And Mike Chapman says, we're not there yet. This golden age of piracy. Um, and we're not there yet. And it blows my mind because I thought we were there. I honestly thought with the style of ships we have, no, we don't have the man of war yet. Right. But any ship can be a man of war. People are, people want a big ass ship, right? With like 20 cannons aside, right? That's the man of war they think about. The a man of war is not a class of ship. What the man of war was, was a, a vessel that had a lot of guns on it. A sloop could be a man of war if it had enough cannons, right? It's just a matter of, this is your standard ship. This is your standard galleon. This is your standard sloop. Slap a whole bunch more cannons on it, and now all of a sudden it's a man of war. That is basically what we're talking about here, right? But a lot of people think about, you know, the big ships, the big and honestly galleon-style ships with 20 cannons aside and, you know, all the guns. But again, we already have that. It just so happens that it only has four cannons aside. But that's beside the point. But thinking about the golden age of piracy... And thinking about that, Mike said we're not there yet, really gets my brain turning as far as what could we see? Could we see Captain Hook tied in from Disney and James Hook from, from you know, stories and lore and myth and legends? Could we see that tie-in? Could we see a tie-in with Charles Vane? Could we see a tie-in with Jack Rackham? Could we see a tie-in with Anne Bonny? Could we see a tie-in... With Nassau Town, are we able to maybe eventually break out of the Sea of Thieves and visit Nassau Town? Or maybe people from Nassau Town, pirates from Nassau Town, come to the Sea of Thieves and we start to meet them. Because it's very known that not many people actually are born and grow up in the Sea of Thieves. Most of them come from the outside world like the Pirate Lord did. So... It really, like, I've got goosebumps right now just talking about it. And I'm like, I, I know my window is open. It's cold outside. But I can tell you this. When I do these podcasts, I am very warm, heated, because I am, like, energized and let's go. But I have goosebumps talking about the fact that we're not in the golden age of piracy yet because it opens up so much story. and opens up so many cool things that we haven't seen. If you go and watch a show like Black Sails and you look at Nassau Town, it is a town. It has buildings, lots of them. It has roads, it has people. 
It has a whole bunch of stuff. It's got a freaking fort. And then you look at Sea of Thieves like an ancient spire or a plunder valley or a plunder outpost. They're small outposts, rickety shacks, a tavern. These are not towns. These are not cities. The golden age of piracy could usher in some of that. We started to see towns and cities with a pirate's life. So we know that Rare has the capability to design beautiful, really immersive towns. Now the question is, how are they going to, are they going to come to Sea of Thieves? Is it going to be outside of the Sea of Thieves? What's going to happen? We've seen the world changing. We saw a new um, building on the outpost um, for a pirate's life with uh, with Calypso and Jack. We've seen changes starting to happen on Thieves Haven. We've seen some changes. If you haven't noticed, there's some changes that I noticed at Smuggler's Bay. Little tiny things are starting to pop up and move and build. So who knows what we're going to see in the future. But the fact that we're not in the golden age of piracy should excite you. Could it mean new weapons? There's still a lot of things in the book that we haven't seen. We haven't seen the alchemists. We haven't seen the engineers from the Sea of Thieves book. There is so much, so much untapped potential in this game right now. (laughs) But who knows how far we are away from that. Again, my guess is we're not going to see the golden age of piracy until season 10 or beyond. So 2023 or beyond. Because if Mike is just now having meetings with consultants and other designers about the golden age of piracy, that means this thing is literally, they're either still writing ideas down to put in that future bucket, or they're starting to pull ideas out of the future bucket to stick on a whiteboard concept wall for season question mark, question mark, question mark, which would be season 11, 10, I don't know, whatever. But there's definitely a roadmap. Do any of us know it? No. Unless we work there, we wouldn't know anything about that. And unless we work there high enough, we probably still wouldn't know anything about it. Nor could we talk about it if we wanted to. But I think everyone... Though we've got our complaints about Sea of Thieves, and though we still have issues with bugs and exploits, and now we've got loot that is phantom loot that it shows that you can interact with it, you start to interact with it, and it doesn't do anything, there's obviously issues. We will have plenty of time to talk about that. But right now, I'm excited about its future. And listening to Mike talk to Logan and seeing the tweets that Mike throws out, And then thinking in my head how a development cycle works and knowing that my favorite time in history has not even reached my favorite pirate game is so exciting. It's so exciting. It's just absolutely fantastic to think about what the future for this game holds. I just hope that they, again, really think about how they release these updates to ensure they capitalize on the timing the, the the timing of the year that they're releasing these updates and making sure they're trying to hit holiday times like Christmas, New Year's, Easter, those type of times where people are clearly going to be home, hitting those times with some updates that allow people to use that time, sit on their ass, 
put money into the game through the to the Emporium and really utilize that time to beef up their numbers and make the game feel alive. Use season five type stuff as filler. Don't make it a whole update. So some congratulations are definitely in order. And I originally started to type notes up on this before I did my research. Happens a lot. Don't worry. So I saw briefly on Twitter that Sea of Thieves won a, a, an, an award. And I didn't see what, who it was from. I didn't see anything. But the award said most improved game. And I started to type out this long-ass rant about how Sea of Thieves could never be considered the most improved game where they still have grant where they still have game-breaking bugs that ruin player experience that they've had for years. Hit registration, silent boarding, loot sprinting, um, um X cancel reloads that still hasn't been um fixed. You know, um, the, the issue where they have matchmaking system issues where people are losing credit for stuff. When you have issues like that, that have been going on for years and they still are not resolved, that can never be considered most improved. Then I did some research and I had to delete everything I typed up. Because the organization who was nominating games was an organization called CIPT, or Can I Play That? And it is an organization that awards games based on accessibility. And what I will tell you, I'm going to pull up the uh, categories here. Um, and I'll tell you kind of like um, what some of the, the items are here. Let's see here. Gaming awards. Can I play that? An organization <clears throat> that focuses on diversity, equality, and inclusion in games. All right. So they do awards, and the 2020 awards came out on December 13th, so not too long ago, a couple days before this recording. And everything that they're looking at is focused around what I just mentioned, accessibility in games. So let me, let me see if I can, um, um, let me see if I can actually see if it talks about this organization at all on this. They have a lot of stuff here, a lot of accessibility things, but you can check it out is at can I play that.com is, is there, is there, um, their website. I'm just trying to see, um, some of the, here we go. Can I play that is excited to offer a diversity, equality, inclusion, accessibility workshop. So again, it's really focused on, on all types of, of inclusion and things like that. It's not just necessarily disability and things like that, but it has to do with just inclusion in, in the game period. Are you represented in a character in the game, et cetera, et cetera. So can I play that accessibility awards 2021? It is our pleasure to announce the winners of can I play that accessibility awards 2021 with our, with our new Susan banks advocacy award sponsored by Ubisoft. The last few weeks have been filled with behind the scenes conversations and organization 
before shifting voting from our panel of judges and also the public voting by you all out there, the player. All of you have uh, your say on what games, studios, and individuals have done great work with accessibility this year. It's been a bit of a wild ride as well this year. Um, <coughs> kind of started off a bit of dire to say the least, but things rapidly increased throughout the year. And in the past three months, we've seen so many games launch with accessibility. We've seen individuals achieving so much, and it's been wonderful to see during the, uh, the bleakness of the world over the past two years. So without further ado, that we announce the winners of the Can I Play That Accessibility Awards 2021. This year, we are doing it differently. We've announced the winners live on YouTube's premiered stream and tweeting out the winners in tow. You'll be able to find that video below. So you can come here and, and watch it if you want. But again, we're focusing here on that all of these awards are, or, or nominees, they're focused on accessibility, right? It doesn't have to be the greatest game in the world. It doesn't have to be a game that's improved its development, whatever. Everything is about what that game and what that company is doing to make games more accessible for everyone, right? Making it inclusive, making everyone feel welcome playing. So some of the categories here, we'll go down through them. Triple uh, A excellence. So accessibility in a game made on the big budget by a big team. So really focused on that, right? The winner of that was Forza Horizon 5 by Playgrounds Games. Indie excellence. Accessibility in a game made on a small budget by a small team. The winner was The Veil, Shadow of the Crown by Falling Squirrel. Best deaf and I'm not sure what H O H accessibility is. I'm going to, Oh, hard of hearing. It spells it out right underneath. Sorry. So best deaf and hard of hearing accessibility. The winner of that was Marvel's guardians of the galaxy by square Enix. Best physical mobility accessibility. Uh, this was Forza horizon five by playground games. Best Blind Low Vision Accessibility. This was The Veil, Shadow of the Crown by Falling Squirrel. So Forza Horizon 5 and The Veil are knocking out of the park for accessibility. Best Cognitive Accessibility. This was the winner. Um, the game is called Unpacking by Witchbeam. Best Representation so best representation of disabled characters. Again, it's about inclusion. It's about you being able to associate with characters in the game, either via you, the player playing them or interacting with them. This was won by Halo Infinite, 343 Industries. Best journalism, article about games accessibility. Uh, the winner of best journalism for this was how Xbox is advancing game accessibility on its platforms um, and hopefully through the industry. Uh, the individual who wrote that was Grant Stoner. Best academic research. So best published academic research on game accessibility. The winner of this was grounded theory of accessibility or accessible game development um, by Yosef Kulik, Jen Beeston, and Paul Karen, Karns, 
Carnes. Sorry if I butchered that name. I'm going to skip the next one because we're going to talk about that in a second because it deals with Sea of Thieves. Best Game Accessibility Event. It was the Game Accessibility Conference by G, uh, GA Conference. Or GA Conf. Most accessible gaming event was the Xbox Bethesda Showcase. So there you go. Rare was a part of that. Favorite innovation in accessible technology. This was Sonic Sight. I don't know what Sonic Sight is. Uh, they have a link here. Let's see what Sonic Sight is. Oh, that's really bright. Okay. Uh, okay. It doesn't really tell me what it is or it doesn't show it to me. Really quickly. It looks like it plugs, in, it plugs into your audio. It's a cube. I'm not 100% what it is, but it looks like some sort of VR thing. I don't know. I apologize if I butchered all of that, but there is a link there if you would like to check it out. Uh, if you would like to check out uh, that particular device. But that was the reward for most innovative uh, accessible tech. All games should implement this. So this is a feature um, that they believe all games should have. Um, this game was Game Speed from Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Biggest accessibility surprise was Microsoft's Xbox introducing storefront accessibility tags. Most dedicated publisher, so the publisher making the most significant and cons uh, consistent efforts, Xbox Game Studios. Rare's part of that. MVP award for most dedicated developer, the individual developer making the most significant and most consistent efforts in, uh, internally. This can include people working in accessibility roles. This went to Tara Voker of Xbox. The Susan Banks advocacy award. Susan made a profound difference at a critical time for the industry. This award can be someone either in development or not. Anyone is an advocate making a difference across the wider industry. This award um, was sponsored by Ubisoft and was won by Morgan Baker. So congratulations, Morgan. And the two that um, uh, Sea of Thieves and Rare were part of, we'll start with Rare first. Most, or sorry, uh, most dedicated studio. So the studio making the most significant or most consistent efforts. Um, Insomniac Games actually won this category, but Rare was nominated along with Ubisoft. So the three nominees uh, for final voting was Rare, Insomniac Games, and Ubisoft. And Rare uh, did not win, um, but the fact that they were nominated in the top three um, especially with everything that I've talked about on what they're doing with accessibility. Um, again, for people like me and folks out there who maybe not have an exceptionality, might not have a disability, um, you know, may feel welcomed in all games. It might not be something we notice, but rare notices and rare knows that their team needs to focus heavily on making sure that everyone has the ability to play their game and they're being recognized for that. So again, they did not win that award. So congratulations insomniac game. I'm all about making everyone feel welcome. I'm all, I mean, hell the charity extra life that I, I've worked with for years. 
I've got to go to conventions and, and, and help children around in, in wheelchairs so they can check out the convention. I've raised a shit ton of money for, uh, you know, children's hospitals and things like that. So I'm all about finding ways to help people enjoy video games because I love video games and everyone should be able to uh, love video games. So I don't know what Insomniac Games is doing out there, but freaking hell yeah. Okay, keep doing what you're doing in Rare. Keep doing what you're doing because the fact that you were nominated in the top three is incredible and really says that you're really, really working on making sure everyone feels comfortable and can play your game regardless of skill or uh, disability or, or, or whatever it may be. The other um, award that they were nominated for is Most Improved. Greatest progress through patches, mods, remakes, and remasters. Again, focused on accessibility, right? Not the most improved game as far as fixing bugs bugs and stuff like that. But the studio who is most improved basically from where they were to where they are now in accessibility and inclusion. So the nominees for this was Ghost of uh, Tushima. Tashima, Tush- I'm sure you guys know what that is. Ghost of Tashima, Director's Cut, uh, Sucker Punch uh, Productions, Hearthstone, Blind Accessibility Mod by Guide Dev, and Sea of Thieves by Rare. And the winner was Sea of Thieves by Rare. Most improved through patches, mods, remakes, and remasters. That is massive. And everyone out there, and I know I've done my fair share of bitching and complaining about Rare, everyone out there who loves this game, regardless of if you have a disability, if you have an exceptionality, if you have anything whatsoever, either minor or major, you should be proud of this game that you love, and you should be proud of the studio who makes this game, that they are putting a focus around everyone being able to play it. You should feel proud about that because there are a lot of games out there and a lot of game studios who don't give a shit aside from the dollars coming in. They don't care if you're colorblind. They don't care if you have limited mobility in your arms or legs. They don't care if you're paralyzed. They don't care if there is a LGBTQ member or or someone who is depicted or is disabled in the video game. They don't care. All they want to do is make a kick-ass video game that people will buy, and they don't care about anything else. Sea of Thieves and Rare have stated and have put a focus around making sure that when they develop the game that we love, that it's a game that everyone can love. And if you can't enjoy it for whatever reason, they are setting up ways for you to tell them and work with them in order to adapt and adjust the game in the future so you can play it. And that is something that every single one of us as a, as a player should be very proud of, regardless if we're pissed that our gun doesn't hit the, uh, a target, regardless if we eat half a fish and we get no health back, regardless if we're on a boat and someone silent boards us, regardless if someone X cancels their gun or, or loot sprints, regardless of any of that. We should be proud and happy that the game that we love is focused on making sure everyone can play it and enjoy it. So congratulations, Rare, 
on both your nominations and congratulations on your most improved award from CIPT. Again, if you want to check out the announcement, if you want to learn more about CIPT or Can I Play It, you can check out caniplaythat.com. I will make sure I leave the link in the description box of the YouTube video and in the show notes on the podcasting apps. But that's going to do it for today, folks. We have went through season five. I've gotten my thoughts out. I've gotten my everything out. I'm enjoying some of the new things. Um, I will say season five because it really doesn't have any new content for me to go out and grind out. I have been taking this season um, just really, really casually, just putting a couple hours in um, so far uh, because I'm really focused. I'm trying to put a focus this season around playing with other people. I've done a lot of soloing um, recently in the past couple seasons and with the tools, not rules and a lot of cool features to play with your friends. Um, I'm trying to really focus this season. I want to complete the season pass, not doing anything solo and actually playing with people. Um, so that's my hope here, but guys, I hope you have a happy holidays. If you celebrate Merry Christmas, if you celebrate happy Hanukkah, um, I don't know all the holidays. I apologize, but I hope you have a good time with your friend, family, friends. If you're by yourself, you know, log into a video game and enjoy some time with people. Um, I know I'm going to be uh, playing a lot of video games. Um, you can check out our live stream. Um, I stream on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, starting around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My schedule is always updated on twitch.tv slash Davram. You can also check out my YouTube, which has a lot of new world content on it right now. Davram TV on YouTube. Uh, obviously, we have the Pirate Talk Radio uh, YouTube as well. And any subscriptions on that would be helpful so we can actually get the URL Pirate Talk Radio. It would be really nice to have an actual URL there. The Discord information for the Game Legion Discord, the Discord that I run, is in the information below. Uh, but guys, we will see you next week for the next episode of Pirate Talk Radio.